0: Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ sponsored by Medical Protection about the challenges and grey areas of primary care. I'm Navjot Lada, clinical editor at the BMJ, and this week we are discussing an ever-present challenge in our working lives, how to say no. We're joined by a very special guest to help us think through saying no and setting boundaries. It's a GP turned executive coach and trainer, host of Your Not a Frog podcast, Dr. Rachel Morris. Welcome, Rachel.
1: Oh, thank you so much
0: for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Um, and also with us as ever to dig into this topic, it's Tom and Jenny. Hi, Jenny.
2: Hi, my name is Jenny Rasanathan. I'm a family medicine doctor and clinical editor for the BMJ. Hi, and hi, Tom.
3: Hello, yeah, I'm Tom Nolan. I'm uh, currently a locum GP and a clinical editor for the BMJ.
0: Hi, and so, uh, yeah, today we're talking about Thinking about setting boundaries, how to say no, which I think is uh, something that crops up in our, you know, not just professional lives, I suppose personal lives as well, but we're thinking through specifically um, uh, from from the perspective of, of what that means within work. And Rachel, this is a topic that I think you have become increasingly interested in, it, it sounds like. what why, why Why is it sort of, why have you sort of been pulled towards this topic?
1: Ooh, well, the question is, do you want the short or the long answer? Maybe I'll <laughs> give you like the the media so because I guess I've been doing lots of teaching and training for resilience with professionals in high stress jobs. So lots and lots of doctors the past few years since I trained as an executive coach and. You know, resilience is a is a difficult thing, to and it, it's a bit of a double edged sword. And you know, if you go in and you say to people, "We're going to shit on resilience," you immediately get people sort of glaring at and 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 thinking, "Well, that's just resilience victim blame. They need to change the system. They need to sort out the workload. Blah blah blah. I don't need to be resilient. It's everybody else." And and to some extent, I totally totally agree with them. And, and I've just come to realise that you you can't have uh, well being, which is a huge part of resilience, you know, keeping ourselves well if you have no time. So you can't manage time, but what you can do is what you do with your time. And that means you then have to prioritize. You have to start to prioritize your well being. You have to start prizing doing things that are going to help you cope with working in a very complex, chaotic, and, and stressed term. But if you're going to do that, Then you have to start to know. Because if you're going to prioritize, there are things you're going to say yes to of the stuff. And that's where saying no comes into it. So I think so can can really get people's backs up and make people feel very nervous. What we're saying is it's not about just saying no to everything and being really self no, 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 no. It's about what am I going to say to? What's the most important thing that I can do that's going to have the highest impact for colleagues, for my patients, for myself? And if I'm gonna focus on that, then necessarily there needs to be a no somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a it's a
1: good it's a good uh, sort of rule of thumb is if you're experiencing something, often
0: that means uh, other people are too. And certainly, everything you're saying is kind of resonating with me. I'm interested, um, Tom and Jenny. Is this something that kind of you? Ever struggle with Tom? Can you think of times yeah,
3: in your yeah, own practice? Well, Rachel, you, you've kind of taken the sting out of my argument there because I was going to be one of those people who gets the backup and <laughs> about this, but because you, you, yeah, all of those things you said, absolutely, absolutely agree with. I, I'm, I guess, I'm immediately thinking about like the consultation and you know most people, you know, maybe we're doing ten minute appointments or increasingly it's sort of number of contacts in in a morning and. Um, where you're saying no basically to a patient who's only just got started at 10 minutes um is it too early to, to get some tips on that <laughs> because I'd really like some
1: <laughs> oh I mean it's it's really hard isn't it and especially when patients are coming in maybe having waited longer than they would have liked yeah. at the appointments, they've got this this list of things I think one of the big problems with saying no in those circumstances is when you've got front of you, you've got these short-term consequences of saying that you have to weigh up with the long-term impact of saying obsess. We know that, you know, if, if you spent 25 minutes with every single patient that you saw, you, you, by the end of your would be running, what, two hours late or something, something ridiculous. So that if you don't say no, you are going to impact of your day, you're going to impact your colleagues because you won't get stuff. You'll impact the rest of your patients and wait. The problem is when there's someone in front of you really difficult and that is all to do with our amygdalas our stress response our threat response
4: so our amygdala is the little bit of your brain that keeps you safe that recognises when a tiger's about to eat you up and makes you run away and it puts you into your fight flight or freeze zone so into your stress zone where you can't actually think straight when you're in that zone blood is diverted from your brain to your big muscles so that you can run away now, it's not just physical threats that we get scared by. <laughs> it is hierarchical threats, so if someone challenging your status, but also people not liking you or upsetting you. That's the group threat. Because when we lived in caves, when we upset someone, if we, get, if we got chucked out of the tribe, then we would probably either die of exposure or be eaten by a tiger or both. So we experience the group threat, the threat of upsetting somebody as an existential threat. So when you come to saying no to someone, we're actually experiencing it as threat and we go straight into our fight, flight or freeze zones. And I think what happens with a lot of doctors is we get to a point where we think we should say no. Well, we know we should say no, or we haven't got time to do something, but we're too scared to do that because of the immediate pushback that we might get. So we're already in our stress zone thinking, I ought to say no, to, no to this, but I can't. So then we end up not saying no to it and you know if you're in a a GP clinic that makes you extra late for the rest of the patients etc etc we're feeling a bit stressed and annoyed by the fact we haven't said no or by the fact someone's even asked us to do it in the first place and then that just that just leaks out so we're not thinking straight in the first place and I think to your point Tom about you know your GP trainer saying well you shouldn't have said no I think this is something that I think hopefully has changed over the past few years as we realize we cannot supply an unlimited service because you know we don't have unlimited GPs and our time is limited yet there is still that attitude that we should never ever say no to the patient. The, the most helpful thing I ever had from a, 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 an older GP was I think a patient had come to see me and I prescribed some some benzodiazepines and the patient was you know trying it on a bit I was very inexperienced and I went to one of the senior doctors and said oh I've done this I've only given a small amount was this the right thing to do and she said no I just say no immediately I just say no and I'm like oh but she said well it, there's no questions asked so she came from the very much I say no boom so there was there's, there's that school of thought but she could sort of cope with all all that pushback another very helpful thing that I found is an, another practice they had decided that as a team they weren't going to provide a certain service to the patients it wasn't in the contract it was taking a long time and they said as a practice we have decided to say no and if you get a complaint bring it on and just sort of having planned that and knowing that in advance I just knew I had the air cover and the backup that was really really helpful as well so there's something about planning and knowing like you said knowing what you say yes to in the first place and knowing what you say no to is really really helpful but when we say a very weak yes, when we actually mean no, that's so unhelpful because we're so stressed. We don't think straight and it, and it leaks out. But so often because of this stress response that we have and worrying about the pushback from the immediate patient in front of us, we just don't do it. And people, people always worry about complaints. You know, when I do workshops on this, the first thing people say to me is, what if I get a complaint? And I guess my my thoughts on that would be, well, yeah, you might get a complaint. Yeah, that's totally a possibility. We know patients complain about all sorts of things and that is outside your control. But what's going to be worse? A complaint where you've really thought about it, should I be doing this or not? And you've decided actually, no, it's the right thing not to do that. And even if you, for some reason, end up in front of a panel having to explain it, you can rationally explain why you said no. And that's probably going to be absolutely fine I think that's a lot better than then constantly saying yes when you actually meant no being a bit tetchy it leaking out becoming quite rude becoming incredibly overwhelmed and making a bad decision that's then very difficult to defend because your judgment goes you're near burnout you're starting to do quite odd things because you're you're just so overwhelmed you're doing things too quickly etc etc I think a complaint that comes from being in that sort of state is going to be much more serious and actually probably much harder to defend than a really well-reasoned, thought-out no.
3: I think you're much more likely to get a complaint from saying no than from saying yes. I think that's probably a big factor in in, in, in running through the, these, these things with, with patients. So I'm slightly... Um, and also that how a complaint lands with you depends a lot upon probably the team you're working with and how they perceive a complaint and you know there's often quite sadly a bit of blame culture or you know I wouldn't have done that so you know so and complaints really kind of hit me really hard I I find them very very hard to um, process and kind of get over so um, there's a lot there's a lot on the side of continuing to say yes still I think.
4: It's really really hard and I think complaints is another huge topic to deal with isn't it? It's yeah, I mean the problem is we can't we can't control when patients complain. And I don't know about you, but in my experience, the patients I've done my best for, you know, and I think I've done really well often end up complaining. The ones that maybe I haven't done as well with tend to be completely happy with the service so it's a bit random about about the complaints you get I think my point is that when I've talked to people at the the NPS and the MDU etc etc and we've done a quite a few podcasts on how to manage yourself through complaints on on you are not a frog the complaints where somebody is overwhelmed and burnt out and failing to say no are much much more serious than the other complaints you get about when you have you know thought things through thought things through properly Um, I guess that's what that's what I would say you you can't control the complaints all you can control is yourself how you are with people and when you are overwhelmed and stressed you just don't practice very well and you're much much more likely to make a silly mistake because your brain's not working properly and you're much much more likely in my experience to be a bit rude or a bit snappy or, or lose your empathy and that's when the complaints can get really really Really, really nasty.
0: I think I I find it really fascinating that um, I think you've highlighted something that I don't think I'd thought about really before, which is that sometimes we think of, you know, if we're thinking about, oh, I really need to say no. We think of saying yes as the easier option or the kind of more straightforward option. But actually, I think you've sort of illustrated that for whatever reason, some of that may be subconscious, or you know, you're not really aware that it's happening. It, It it isn't necessarily. It's kind of you know, it has this sort of ripple effect that that may not be the easier option. So Jenny, I'm um, interested to hear from you as well. Is this something that
2: you recognize in your own practice? Absolutely. I have been so enjoying um, this conversation. And as you've been talking, Rachel, the thing that I've been reflecting on is how people's expectations around what a GP service should provide and what, you know, an an appointment even should look like really influences um, the kind of interpretation of a no. Um, So as many of our listeners will know, I've practiced in a couple different countries. It would have been unthinkable for me to say no to that one more item on a patient's list in my practice in the Bronx when getting to an appointment is such a struggle for many people and when they have many comorbidities, it would have been unthinkable. And it, it kind of relates to the way that I think for many patients in the United States, and I'm thinking in particular of New York City, the expectation is that you're going to wait. You're going to rock up to your appointment on time, and you're going to wait <laughs> for as long as it takes to see your provider, sometimes you know, up to an hour, two hours. Um, in contrast, when I was practicing in New Zealand, um, I had people getting really upset with a wait of like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and I struggled um, with kind of trying to stay on time because I was reluctant to say no to that one more thing on a patient's list until a friend said to me, no, nah. it's everybody's expectation that your appointment is going to be 15 minutes. Say no, move on. It's more important to stay on time." for the people who are leaving work to come to see you in the middle of the day. And actually hearing her say that gave me license to say, okay, the cultural expectation is a little different, that I don't have to go through everything on your list because this is, you know, your rare moment here. It's actually, um, you expect me to run on time. And if that means saying no, so be it. They're happy to come back another day.
4: That's really interesting to me, Jennifer, because I think you're just illustrating really nicely the different stories that you've got going on in your head about saying no in those different cultures. So if you talk about when you were in in the Bronx, that you just said it would be unthinkable for me to say no. What underlying stories were you having in your head at that point?
2: I I think that's a really good question that would take a very long time to answer. And obviously (laughs) it's very patient and context specific, but I think it is about responding and feeling a sense of duty and responsibility to a to a underserved population uh, with a lot of health needs.
4: Yeah, and I think you've just hit the nail on the head now about why it's so difficult to say no, because we, we've touched on the fact it can be awkward, we worry about complaints, we, we get put into a fight, flight or freeze zone. But bottom line is that saying no as a doctor hits on some of our internal values. And our internal values that have been drilled, which which are very, very deep seated and also then have been drilled into us through all of our training is that the patient always comes first, that we must never cause any harm, which totally right and totally true. And I would always uphold those. And also that I must work as hard as I can. I must always carry on. I must never be weak. I must never really admit I've got any limits because the patient comes first. I must be perfect. I must get it right all the time. I must do everything I can to avoid a complaint. All these internal stories that we've got. And I must never upset anybody. I must never dump on my colleagues. All these things are going on. And underlying all that is, well, firstly, fear. Fear about if I say no, what's going to happen? I might get a complaint. Bottom line, if I get complaint, will I get, I mean, the bottom line of complaint is, will I be struck off? I mean, that's that's where that goes, isn't it? So fear for your livelihood. So you can see why people worry about it. Guilt. Guilt because I can't do everything. Guilt that I'm not able to do everything that I want to do because we want to be able to please people. And so guilt is a it's an interesting emotion. We don't like to feel guilty, but actually it just shows that you're a good person. It really does. It just shows that you're a good person. But the final one, and I think this is really difficult, is is this sort of perfectionism that we have about I must always be brilliant. I must perform to the best of my ability and and do it all. Um, And the problem is, if we say no, and it means that we won't, finish the job that we said we'd finish and we won't be able to see all the patients or meet all the patients demand and that bangs on our values of always being absolutely brilliant always being there for everybody that doesn't just cause guilt it causes shame and shame is a horrible emotion and nobody wants to feel shame because the bottom the underlying belief of shame is I'm not good enough I am not enough And so it's one thing saying no because we've got the protocol that says no so we shouldn't do it or I broke my ankle last October. So I had to say no to some stuff because I literally couldn't do it. I felt a bit guilty but I couldn't do anything about it. So I I didn't feel, I I wasn't choosing to do that. But what if you're choosing to say no because you need to run on time for the other patients or because you actually for your own mental health need to go home and rest because you can't possibly do it all you're choosing to say no for another reason, but saying no is going to make you feel shame, it's almost impossible to do. If you have a choice. If you have no choice, you'll feel a bit bad. But if you have a choice, why would anyone choose to do something that's going to make them feel ashamed? And that—that that is the bottom line. It's so, so hard.
0: I mean, I, I think that that's uh Oh, there's a loads to sort of unpack there and I think um you, you yeah you've encapsulated really well why it does feel so hard to say to say no and to to set boundaries rachel I'm interested do some people find it harder than others or are there some scenarios that are harder than others because we've talked a lot about um patients saying no to patients but often I feel that you know if you have your it, it is very difficult but you know you have clinical your clinical decision making or the constraints of the system or whatever it is sometimes to to fall back on sometimes what can be really hard is saying no to colleagues <laughs> I find that really difficult as well but just more generally are there uh scenarios or certain types of people you know we think of people pleasers and that kind of thing when when does this kind of rear its head even more or or is it more challenging for some than others
4: when it's easier to say no is when you can see that there will be a massive big consequence for saying yes. So for example you know I was on a, an airplane coming back from Turkey last year and they hadn't put enough fuel on the plane. So you know they said no to, to, to taking off until they've been refueled because there's going to be a massive consequence. I mean that's that's really obvious and you can maybe see in, in theatre a surgeon would say no I'm not doing that operation if I don't have the right equipment or the right staff etc cetera, etc. Cetera. It just becomes really muddied when you can't see the immediate consequences of of saying yes. So with colleagues, again, we are so worried about the relationship between us that we will go the extra mile always to support colleagues or worrying about what they might think of us. And and if you have high psychological safety within, within a team, it then becomes a lot easier to say no to people because psychological safety means that I can say no to you or I can disagree with you and the relationship is going to be okay so that's one one area where if you've got a team where the psychological safety is really low actually it's much much harder to say no because you know that the minute you say no there's probably going to be some bitching and backbiting about you the other scenario where I think it is particularly difficult to say no is actually senior doctors. Because when you're in a position as a partner or as a clinical lead, or I mean, I, I, I remember feeling like this as a junior doctor, if you said no, like, who's going to do it instead? When it is that the buck stops with you, and you might as a partner be owning your own business, you know, owning your, your practice, and you feel this responsibility, not just to your staff, but also to your patients and to the whole population, then you've got this just extra layer of I should I ought to and uh, you know that that the, the, the people that I see burning out a lot at the moment are our mid-career and later career doctors because of the amount of responsibility they're trying to do their day job and then they're trying to lead on on top of that and as a leader and manager we've taught that we need to you know really support our teams and look after our teams and we then feel responsible not only for our own resilience, but for the resilience of our teams. Therefore, we go into rescue mode and start trying to look after them, which means that we take on all their work. So saying no to them, again, will hit in our internal value of a good leader looks after their looks after their staff. So I think that that's a particularly difficult one as well. But
2: doesn't that also kind of come back to um, this idea that it's the system failing kind of at the root of all that, you know like like it if people had a system safety net, uh, an array of services that they knew was there and was going to be able to help people or take over, surely we wouldn't have the same, level of oh I, I still have to do this. I, I I should do this. I really ought to do this, um, even at the end of the day or off hours.
4: I agree. We ought to. We ought to have a system that does that and we don't. That is the problem. And we are not in control of the system. But we are in control of what we choose to take on and, and what we don't. I think the NHS, my little analogy of what's going on at the moment is the NHS a bit like a, a basin. You've got you've got two outflows from the base and you've got the the plug, the drain, you've got the little overflow thing as well, that little hole. And what's happened is that you've got the demand pouring in at the top and you've got the, you know, secondary care or GP or whatever, you've got the, the hole coming out at the bottom and you know, we used to have the overflow, which was a and, and and stuff like that for patients that we couldn't see. One, 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 you know, the out of hours servants, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem with the tap is so high at the moment that all the overflows are, are doing their best, but they're just the water is flowing over and over and over. And if I can sort of throw another analogy in, I think primary care has been a bit like the sponge. You know, over the years, we have just soaked up all that extra work and that extra demand and actually, this was even recognised by the House of Commons report. I think it was last year or the year before. Uh, I think Jeremy Hunt chaired that. And Professor Michael West in that report said the problem with this excess work is that people don't see it. You know, it's like the it's like the, a wallpaper that you don't notice. And they actually said in this report, if NHS staff stopped doing overtime or stopped going above and beyond, the whole system would collapse. What's happened is that general practice is like this big sponge that's been filling up and filling up. But once the sponge is full, you can't do any more. And people trying to cope with more water than they can fit in their sponge is causing them to be stressed and burnt out. And the only way the system changes, if it starts to cause enough problems that other people are starting to shout about it and, and, and it becomes an issue for somebody else but that's really uncomfortable because it almost means you have to let things fail in order for things to change and the system failing looks like patients not being served but I was actually did a, a, a talk at the BMA eastern regional conference um, eastern regional meeting yesterday afternoon and Dev who was a chair said something really interesting he's a, a surgeon and he said you know if we are overwhelmed in surgery and we, we stop operating, we say we can't do it because we haven't got the equipment all this all the time and things start to get cancelled, then very quickly someone will do something about that higher up because we can't do it, we say no and then the system changes pretty quick or has to because immediately it becomes very obvious that we can't deliver that service. So my question for GPs is, what are you going to choose? Because you could choose to keep trying to absorb this but eventually you will burn out and then there won't be any GP. So eventually the system is going to fail, however hard you work, or you can start saying no, doing what you can, and the problem then gets kicked kicked upwards to the politicians, to secondary care, to the ICSs, and they actually then have to do something about it. Hmm. Does that make any sense? In,
3: in the UK, I guess, it, in the difference with GPs and um, hospital the doctors is the – in the contract status. And I suppose if you're you would I suppose have to report yourself to your ICS or the CQC and then that that that's a, perhaps a less supportive outcome that you'd get than than in the hospital where you, you have a team of managers who are there to probably support support you in a different way.
4: But we do have organizations like the LMCs who have provided very good guidance on what you're obliged to do in the contract and and what you're not and this is where the concept of air cover comes about this is uh, I think it's much easier to say no like we were talking about earlier uh, Tom with if you're in a practice that has agreed what you'll say yes to and no to and if you get together in your PCN and with other practice and you've got this agreement about this is what we're going to do this is not what we're not going to do your LMC is backing you up then actually if you're if everybody's saying it, it becomes much much easy and you don't feel like this sort of lone voice on the horizon with everyone going oh isn't you know wasn't wasn't he dreadful yeah I would never have done that it's like no this is this is what we've this is what we've agreed but I, I would just say and, and at this point a lot of people in things go well it's if it causes patient harm I that's really against my ethics and morals and I totally agree I totally agree because if someone says um you know what if if I don't do it no one will and what if someone's gonna die? Well, if it's going to cause severe patient harm by saying no, then don't say no. I mean, you've always got a choice about these things. But I always ask people in my training, why do you struggle to say no? Is it because it will cause severe patient harm? Is it because you don't want to upset anyone? Is it because you don't want to inconvenience anyone? Is it because you feel guilty? And the responses range from people saying it will cause severe patient harm 1.0 someone it was three percent it's never got above 18 percent of people saying they struggle to say no because of patient harm so if there's a scenario where if you said no that is going to cause patient harm then don't say no do what you can to not we don't want to cause patient harm we patient safety is paramount but we're not saying no for all these other reasons it's not just it's not just patient safety does Mm. that make sense yeah
3: the thing you said about the you know trying to maybe avoid the fight or flight um, scenario ma- makes sense to me. And I think as I've got to that kind of mid-stage of career, I, I, I think I've found that the more I can do to make myself not get into those situations, the better I am at saying no when I want to and not when I don't, if you like, if that makes sense. So, because um, I, I don't like to say no, but I think that's just my personal, personal you know, I'm quite comfortable with um, trying to find ways of saying yes or whatever, but um, it's why I'm saying no for the wrong reasons, which I try to avoid, and, and that, that's okay by me. It's,
4: it depends what the consequences are, because I think that the short-term consequences of of saying yes is is that everyone's happy and everyone feels nice and comfortable, but the long-term consequences are that nobody gets educated in what the right thing to do is. Um, every you just end up feeling more and more resentful about stuff. You get overwhelmed, you get a workload that you can't manage, you're not able to look after yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It it just goes on and on and on. And we all like to say yes where we can. But the thing that's really helped me with this difference between short-term consequences and long-term consequences, because the long-term consequences of not saying no, I think are a lot worse than the short-term consequences of not saying no because the long-term consequences we've got we've got burnout and we've got collapse of the system we really have I mean it it is in crisis at the moment if many more GPs burn out and leave we can't really run primary care it's very difficult is the thing that's helped me is to use power language so this is I am choosing to xyz so I am choosing to say no to seeing to dealing with this extra problem in this particular consultation so that I can see the rest of my patients without running too late and do those three very urgent important visits I've got at lunchtime and also you know there's always a so that I'm choosing to so that so work out why you're choosing to and then at the end I would say even if even if that patient isn't particularly happy or I'm choosing to say no to doing that extra surgery my colleagues so that I don't know I can celebrate my son's birthday like I said I would even if one of my colleagues feels that I'm not supporting them right or I, I don't know but you have to put that even if because you have to expect the pushback you do because people don't like being said no to it doesn't mean you're wrong it just means that their inner chimp has been triggered and their amygdala has been triggered and they've gone into the corner but it's really uncomfortable and. I, my, the thing I'm thinking about at the moment is how do we get used to that discomfort how can we just sit with that icky feeling of oh I've done it it doesn't it's never going to feel wonderful it's really not but I mean there are things there are things you can do and um, Tara Brack talks about RAIN uh, this system called RAIN so firstly recognize when it's happening this that icky feeling when you, you know you've been triggered you're feeling awful acknowledge it um, investigate why what's behind it what stories am I telling myself just like I was sort of asking with Jenny and then and then nurture yourself just think, actually what do I need right now maybe you just need to go and talk to a, a colleague and go oh I've just had to say no I'm feeling really really bad about it what do you think and that probably nine times out of ten your colleague would go no that was absolutely the right decision and phew, you feel better
0: mm. and Rachel I think I mean I think the, the what we touched on earlier about sort of understanding what it is that we say no to as well like how so say if I was coming to you for help I'm recognizing that I'm sort of starting to burn out and I'm struggling um and sort of I'm struggling to say no and set boundaries kind of where I think you've given us some tips about how in a moment to kind of um sort of say no but what's the kind of starting point for for sort of dealing with this as a as I guess as an individual I would say the
4: starting point is firstly, knowing what you want in your life, right. because I have, I found that most people haven't mapped out how they want to live, how they want their life to look. We've sort of said, well, this is what I want my career to be. But I, I was on a sort of business retreat and I thought I was going to get this business coaching. But what they ended up doing was sitting me down and going, right, map out your, your week. What does it look like? How many, how many sessions do you want to work? How many sessions do you want to be doing admin? when do you want to be doing your exercise, seeing your family, what does an ideal week look like to you? And I would encourage people to do this and I can give you a link that you can send out with a a toolkit on how to do this. It's got some charts and questions that you can use. So literally get a piece of paper, map out what your ideal week looks like. Um, you could also then map out what your current week looks like and just see what the difference is between the two of those things. Because if you don't know what you're aiming for, it's going to be really hard. As Tom said, if you don't actually know what you want or what to say yes to, it's really hard to know what to say no to. So first of all, know where you personally want to be, because if you don't design your life, then somebody else will. And if you then know, okay, on a Wednesday evening, that is my free evening that I spend with my family, or on a Saturday afternoon I will always take that time to rest it's much then easier to say no when someone asks you to do something on those times because you actually have it blocked out for something for yourself rather than just oh well it is sort of free so that's I find quite helpful the second thing is um, actually work out what the important stuff is and for that I tend to use the prioritization grid which is the urgent important matrix which lots of people know and you can basically put down all the things you've got in your life to do into four blocks either so the top row is stuff that's important the bottom row is stuff that's not important on the left is stuff that's urgent and on the right is stuff that's not urgent and that is a simple two by two grid just map out everything you've got in in there and what you'll realize is most of us spend most of our time firefighting urgent stuff all the time and never getting to those important projects that no one's really shouting for. But we know that if we focused on doing that, doing that workflow or actually doing that CPD or that bit of personal development, that would, that would be really important. That would move the needle for us a lot. And I would say all the stuff around wellbeing, scheduling, exercise, all those things, planning to do the stuff that's important but not urgent. And the only way to plan to do that is to time block it into your diary and put how long it takes because then when someone says well can you do this you'll go well I I actually actually can't because I've got that two hours in there for the project um, and it, I found it a lot easier to say no to dealing with multiple problems with the patients when I actually had to get away to pick my child up from the childminder because I knew I had to get away at a certain time therefore I'll be like I've only got this time with you I'm really sorry you know we can book again or we can deal with it in a different way and I have to get away by this point so if if you know what you're doing with your day that that can be really really helpful so just knowing what your yeses are is going to be much much more important I I did hear of a practice who was so short on GPs I think they had one GP and 10,000 patients I have no idea how they were doing it but they had all sorts of sort of allied roles um, working with them but they they said we do not give anything to that GP that anyone else could do and I think at the moment, for ourselves, thinking of ourselves a bit like that, always thinking, well, yeah, I could do this, but who else could Who else could do this? And this isn't just self-protectionism. It's actually helping the NHS, really. It's helping create a sustainable, resilient model of primary care because unless we start doing stuff like this, it is just not
2: sustainable. Can I ask a quick question about that? Because I think, you know... In moments where I've had the clarity of mind to say no and have thought through some of these things, when, and I struggle to ask for help and admit when I need help, but in the moments when I have, um, there have been occasions that um, my request or plea or even statement that I am not able to do something has just been rejected or declined. And how do you deal with that? Like, like, I can't handle this or I do not have capacity for this. Um, And, you know, hearing there's no one else to do it, but back can be um, hard in terms of thinking about continuing to block off and protect your time. That's really,
4: really difficult. I think the, the problem comes when we are expecting other people to be totally happy and fine with our decisions. So often we, we, we ask for help and everyone else is in the same boat. And that's why we find it so hard when colleagues go off sick, because we get more work, right? So I would, I don't know, I don't know your situation. And, and also, by the way, there is no one really straightforward, easy answer to this. This is just a huge dilemma. I would do a zone of power on it I would use a zone of power so the zone of power is very simple it's a A4 piece of paper with a circle in the middle and you say in this scenario what is out of my control and list all the stuff that's out of your control and then in the middle say what is in my control so I can ask for help that's in my control but if they agree to help me or not or take anything off my plate is out of my control outside of my control what else is in my control well I guess if I do it or not you yeah, know, I could, I could leave it undone. I could just not do it. And, and I can see your face now. You're going, ah. Those, I know this is a, a an audio game podcast, <laughs> but Jenny's actually wincing right now. But there is that option of just not doing it. There's asking somebody else to do it. There's delaying it. There, and, and, and just keep thinking, about what else is in my zone of power? What else is in my zone of power? Now, the reason why you're probably thinking, well, I just need to get on and do it is because of the consequences of of not doing it and I don't know what your particular scenario is but we're right back to why we then can't say no anymore so if we need help other people won't give us help we then choose what our actions are we could just then say well I'm sorry I I can't do this anymore and you you do have options you do have choices they might be really tough choices to get and I would say what other help can you get from elsewhere and then it is in your control about whether you choose to carry on and do that thing or not. Now, the consequences might be that what you don't like, that the consequences might be at the extreme. Well, then in that case, you are not going to carry on working here. You know, you might get the sack, in which case you might you might choose not for that not to happen. But oftentimes people might be a bit annoyed. But there's not going to be huge adverse consequences. It's difficult to give a specific answer without knowing your specific scenario. But I would really just do the zone of power. What other options do I have here? That's a useful way of thinking about it. Thank you. Rachel,
3: can I? Yeah.
4: And it'd be wonderful if we could wave a magic wand, wouldn't it? It'd be wonderful if we could just wave a magic wand and make everyone completely happy with our decisions all the time. You've hit the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head on why it's so difficult to say no, because people don't come back to us and go, oh, you're so right. That's totally fine. People come back to us and go, no, I'm not accepting your no. Totally. And then then you've got a choice about what you then do and you need to work out what's in your zone of power, what consequences I will accept and what I won't. So I obviously won't accept the consequences of severe patient harm. I won't accept that. I won't accept something that's against my integrity or honesty. I won't accept something that will lose me my job. But maybe I could accept someone being a bit disgruntled with me. Maybe I could accept inconvenience to other people and people talking badly about me. But it's really hard.
3: No, I just want to, we, we talk about the choice or autonomy like all the time on, on the podcast, and I guess in practice and maybe life. Like, so just a sort of maybe flippant question, but like, how, how often does everything just boil down to like feeling that you've got choice or autonomy and trying to increase that?
4: all of it all of it all of it all of it it's so important daniel pink i don't know if you've read his book drive the three things that motivate us autonomy mastery purpose you know and actually we know that um to be happy at work you need a feeling of autonomy and for a lot of my career i felt like i haven't had a choice in what i'm doing i felt i ought to and i have to and People say when I do the zone of power with them in training, we often get when I'm saying, well, what is in your control? And I say to them, what time you leave the surgery, that is in your control. And they go, no, it's not. No, it's not. I say, well, it is. Who, who, who gets out of your seat, goes into your car and drives home or cycles home? Well, I, I do, but I, I have to stay if there's a, an urgent patient to see. You don't have to stay. You could choose to leave you know but there'll be consequences you know you could choose to go the consequences will be that that patient might come to harm and you might you know you, you you'll probably get in trouble for that and that's the consequences but it doesn't mean you don't have the choice and I think the problem doctors have is we don't recognize when we have those choices because we don't like what the choices are we don't like the consequences of those choices but we have the choice and we end up taking far too much responsibility for stuff that's outside our zone of power, which we can't do anything about. Like if patients complain or not, patient demand, that's outside our zone of power. We can't do anything about it. We just have to accept that. But we often don't take enough responsibility for what is in our zone of power because often it's really hard and it takes a bit of courage. And if you do this on a flip chart, you've got your stuff in the middle that takes courage you've got your stuff on the outside that's outside your control that takes acceptance or you can get stressed about it you can either accept it or get really really anxious and you know, that's what the serenity prayer talks about serenity to accept the stuff that's outside my my control the courage to change the stuff that is and then the wisdom to know the difference and if we could just get that right then it would be a lot easier. Now, the problem is what other people say and do and think of me is outside my zone of power. I can't do anything about it and I can't, I can't change it. So when I say, well, I can only say no if, if they're nice to me and I can only ask for help if they give it and I can only do this if they don't push back or they don't complain. Well, that is outside my control. I can't do anything about it. But um, Sorry, it's like gone slightly off piece, but this question of autonomy is so important and for me when I did a bit of a career change reason realizing that I even had a choice was so freeing and was literally the first step to to doing what I do now that's why the power language is so important because it it immediately gives you back your autonomy so you might say Tom actually I'm choosing to say yes to dealing with this extra problem for this patient because for me, it's really important that, that this man gets dealt with today, even if the rest of the patients have to wait. That's fine, you know, but you might also say, well, I'm choosing to say no here so that I can get to that really important PCN meeting I've got at lunchtime, even if he's a bit inconvenienced and put out and has to wait a bit to get that problem dealt with it's good stuff it's tricky stuff it's tricky stuff it really is and I'm sitting here thinking oh look at me talking about this and I struggle with this just as much as everybody maybe more maybe
0: that's why I'm so obsessed with getting this right I don't know and we'll be back with more on that after this short break what I, I think like you've hit the like I, i'm sort of I was nodding along to everything that you were saying um but like the consequences bit or the the challenge of it like those that that's the bit that is hard to navigate and you know summoning that courage and finding that acceptance is uh can be so difficult in practice like what are some of the things that you think can help help, help get someone there
4: think there's a few things I think self-awareness is really really important and so there's a real move towards conscious leadership at the moment which is recognizing your internal state being able to recognize when you're triggered um, and recognizing some of those stories that you've got in your head about stuff so it's oh look there's that story again about me letting people down about how I can never do that okay what's actually true here I think that a really, really simple thing people can do is actually press a pause button and give themselves some time and space. Because actually nothing is urgent apart from CPR. You know, it's all the claps in front of you, you need to act. But apart from that, you can always buy yourself time, even if it's just two minutes going out and sitting in the loo and going, right, okay, what? Well, take some deep breaths, get myself out of my fight, flight or freeze zone and back into my normal parasympathetic logical thinking system where I can think actually what advice would I be giving someone else in this situation what's the story in my head is I'm a dreadful doctor if I say no to this patient right now or I'm an awful colleague letting everyone down if I don't agree to do that what would I say to someone else okay no you've got a good reason for not doing it it's fine it's okay to fail it's okay to get things wrong and the other stuff the other, the other truth of this, and I know lots of people have heard it and it can become really really glib but I've really had to take this on board recently is that self-care is not selfish looking after yourself is not selfish you have to put your own oxygen mask on first and you cannot pour from an empty cup so unless you are putting the boundaries in so that you are okay that your battery is full how on earth are you going to serve your patients properly how on earth are you gonna be able to navigate the really tricky system and lead well? So it, it's, it's, it's recognizing the stories that we have, the stories of shame, I've always got to do it, I'm not good enough unless I do, blah, blah, blah. And changing those stories. And I think coaching can be really helpful for that. And I know that there are lots and lots of coaching schemes available to GPs right now through training hubs, through everything, and half of them are not, are not full. There's so much available that people just aren't taking up. Now, I know time is a big issue, but it's really helpful to just start and pick some of those stories we are telling ourselves and then change it. And then, like Tom said, you are then prepared for the next time you feel it. You go, ah, oh, I recognise this story I'm telling myself. What, what was it that we talked about that, that's actually just as true or even more true here? And that can help you to, to, to start to shift. So pressing pause button, as much as possible and getting yourself out out of that sympathetic zone giving yourself time getting some coaching to recognize what what toxic stories you've got there and air cover supportive load of peers and colleagues around you if you can't get air cover in your own practice because everyone's drowning and in the same boat and you're all at each other's throats go get a supportive group of mates you know luckily there are lots of doctors around that you could go for dinner with and just chat it over and just we really really need each other right now to sense check stuff to talk things through which is why I love the fact that face-to-face events are coming back and I love to go and talk at all these, these events because you just see people sharing stories they're like I feel better already just because they've got exactly the same issue as I have and how are we going to deal with it together and just feeling you're not alone is so helpful
0: yeah can I put a bid in also for starting a podcast with two excellent supportive colleagues if, if that's a, an option available to people? Because that's definitely something I've uh, got a lot
3: out of. Oh, I um, that that's something you're planning to do.
2: Or... <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, not you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else. <laughs> um, so, Rachel, I mean, thank you. And this is so much food for thought. Uh, trying to think about, you know, how I could or could not take some of these things on board. Do you think there are things that GPs have to unlearn here? It kind of feels like things that allow people to get into medical school, into graduate training, residency, higher education could be, you know, all of that kind of drive and saying yes and overloading and being seen as a team player um, may I, all of those things kind of seem like they may not be advantageous in terms of protecting ourselves in practice or saying no in practice.
4: Definitely. Definitely. The way we are programmed, let me ask you, Jenny, when you have more and more work, what do you do? Well,
2: <laughs> I mean, i pr- on currently in that situation and my very, I mean, yeah. like, such a state of dysfunctional overwhelm right now that I'm like I'm gonna wake up early every day I'm gonna stay up late I'm gonna like <laughs> ask for time on the weekend so I don't have to spend it with my children like that is yeah. so you have terrible
4: Absolutely hit the nail on the head you just work harder yeah and you give up doing all that stuff that you know will keep you well like going to bed early like spending time with your family that going doing some exercise and that's been programmed because I learned very early on as a child that if I work really hard I pass my exams and then when I went to med school if I worked really really hard I could cope with 10 exams in one week and then when I was a house officer it was yeah this shows my age I was still doing 120 hour weeks and I just you just had to do that because that's what everyone else did and so through our entire career it's you've got more to do you just work harder and the problem is that that sponge that i talked about earlier once it's full it's full and and then you you know you, you can't take anything more on, but we still think we can and so then it eats into all that time that we have to actually keep our sales well um coupled with the fact that everyone's always told you your whole life about how great you are because you're clever and how great you are because you've passed all your exams with a stars and all that sort of stuff so then your performance and your work becomes very, very intricately tied into your identity. And once your identity is mixed up with what you do and how good it is, then actually, you, you know, then not doing something well to your best of your ability, so doing a a, a bit of a shoddy job on it or just doing a bit of it and leaving it, that actually again causes shame, because I'm I'm not good enough and this feeling that i am superhuman because you know what I, I work those 120 hour weeks i mean it doesn't matter that every single weekend on the monday morning the doctor that had been on that weekend shift was in tears in the mess because it was so awful but everyone just had to pretend it wasn't so superhuman only only good by what you produce and what you do so you're getting these ideas that i am what i do you're getting these ideas of i am what i have now because actually i work hard i get money i get paid for it etc and you get these ideas that I am what people think of me, and those are three toxic lies that we tell ourselves. That when we have to say no, it, it oof, that interferes with that, and that leads to that leads to shame. And I, I don't want this to come over as really glib because I know how difficult it is, and I struggle with it daily myself. Um, and it's not a, a single problem. Saying no is not a problem which has a solution it's it's a dilemma and there are loads of different strategies that you need to employ I think even just a bit of awareness about what happens to our brains when we say no can be helpful getting that peer support thinking about the stories in your head and and getting some support and help whether it be coaching mentoring Sometimes you need a bit of therapy because, you know, these stories of our identity, they're so deeply ingrained in us from our parents' expectations, from our relatives, everything. And and so it's not that easy just to change these stories of identity that we have. So I would say if if you're recognising yourself in that, go get some professional help because it will really help in, 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 in all sorts of things.
0: Okay, well, on that note, uh, thank you so much, Rachel. It's been so fascinating to talk through this stuff and to kind of uh, with you and to sort of recognise for myself where I need um, to work on. And I'm sure it would be really, really useful for our listeners as well. Um, So, yeah, thanks so much. We'll put um, some information in our show notes so that people can um, find out more about you and the work you do and the link to the prioritisation Um, grid as well which I know I'll be checking out so thank you and thank you Tom
3: thank you very much yeah it's been great Rachel thanks
0: and thank you Jenny thank you thanks so much for having me and thank you all for listening we'll be back with another episode of deep breath in soon this time asking is it so bad to miss a PE I mean it sounds like a GP's worst nightmare but we're going to brave the topic with a guest who suggests that it's not the worst thing so to make sure you don't miss out on that, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. I'm Larder. Bye for now.